Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Mark 3, 7, 7 through 19. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, um, in, in the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowds, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. He had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. He gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. He went up on a mountainside and called to them those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and he might preach authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John to them, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Aphias, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Oh, I don't need... <laughs> wow! Holy cow! That was my best Aaron impression, sorry, that's all I get. That's all you got, that's all I got. Well, I'm not Aaron, I know you're a little shocked. In fact, uh, Aaron and Mary Robin are out of the country. Uh, Aaron began several months ago a journey toward a, a D-man, a doctor of ministry degree in spiritual formation, and part of the program sends them on retreats. One was up in Boston. This particular one actually happens to be in Italy, so another moment of silence as they suffer. A- <laughs> So uh, he uh, sends his regards, and I know he'd appreciate your prayers as he continues uh, this uh, kind of juggling lots of things when you're going through school. Some of you know what that's like. Well, this morning we are considering uh, or continuing our post-Easter series. Maybe you've forgotten about Easter, but uh, we wanted to respond to the truths of Easter with a Follow Me series, that is a Follow Jesus series and so our, throughout the series, our aim has been twofold. We, this is kind of the targets we're looking for. We, we, as we explore scriptures together, follow me is an invitation to discipleship that is more about how we live than what we know. How do we move this to that? You know, how do we make it work out? And therefore, we hope to encourage a lifestyle of radical obedience that is Jesus-focused. It's what we want to accomplish as we consider these truths together. So our first week, Caesar uh, launched our series with a love like Jesus with grace and truth. How do we actually practically live out a life that is full of grace and truthfulness to those around us? And last week, Aaron's message, we looked at Matthew chapter 4, and his invitation that he covered that week was, follow me to become fishers of men. What a, one of the wonderful things that happened last week, if you weren't here, is Aaron challenged us to consider who's that one more person in our lives that God might be calling you and I to, to reach out to. And so around the communion table, many of you brought cards, and it was just really a beautiful picture of your faithfulness to that truth. And I just really love somebody enough to pray for them 
into the kingdom. So both of these messages are online, and I think they're well worth your time, whether you're driving or just sitting at home, to, to listen and take in these truths. So today, we take another step in the Follow Me series and explore the leadership of Jesus as it relates to the topic of discipleship. The invitation for us to consider is how we might lead like Jesus toward more and better disciples. We might phrase it this way. What did Jesus do to identify, empower, and deploy disciples to be his radical followers? How did he do that? And on a more personal level, we're going to, I'd like you to frame kind of what we're talking about today with, with two questions for you personally to consider. And the first one is this. Am I becoming like a disciple that Jesus called? What do I look like in comparison to that? Secondly, am I making disciples like Jesus made? Two important questions that kind of... Uh, Give us the baseline of our thinking today. Well, before we go any further, let's pray and ask the Spirit's help as we consider God's Word together. Father, thank you for your uh, grace today that, uh, that allows us to come and sit and, and listen. And we, we don't want just more information. We can get that anywhere. But we want to make this a step of transformation in our lives. And so we ask for your help. We ask you to do a work in us that we can't do ourselves and then give us courage to take action, what you call us to do. Would you take a moment and pray to the person on your right, the person on your left, and maybe in front of you, and pray that their ears might be readied to hear the word. Amen. Well, to get a glimpse of Jesus' leadership, we're going to take a closer look at that text that Chloe read for us this morning. We're going to limit our focus this morning to just a portion of that text. So if you have your Bibles, it's Mark chapter 3. Maybe you have a, a phone that you'd like to read along. The text will be up on the screen as we go along. Mark chapter 3. We're going to look at 16, excuse me, verse 13 through 16. So where are we in this story of Jesus? And his disciples. Well, up to this point, Mark has been uh, telling us uh, how he called them. Uh, he was down by the Sea of Galilee, and he called Simon and Andrew and James and John the fishermen, and he said, follow me, and I will make you... Good, this will be interactive all morning, I trust. Okay? And then he went to a fifth disciple, uh, we are told in chapter 2, and his name is Levi, or we know him better as Matthew. And he was a tax collector, and he invited Matthew to follow him. And now we arrive at chapter 3, and here we find a great crowd that is gathered from, from all over the, the region to follow Jesus, along with these disciples and perhaps others. After a time this, of this crowd pressing in and making demands of Jesus and uh, this intense ministry of casting out demons and, and healing, we read this. It says in verse 13, he went up to the mountain and he called those whom he desired and they came to him. So our first disciple-making question is this. 
How did Jesus identify the disciples? Well, the first strategy that I want to note and draw attention to is that Jesus went up to the mountain. There's really something special about mountains in our lives. People have all kinds of reasons for going to them. I don't have been watching the news and keeping up with this story, but it's just crazy. Did that show up there? Do you see the people? This is Mount Everest. And because of an, an overabundance and an overissuing of passes to go up the mountain and a break in the weather, there's actually, on this 29,000 foot ascent, there's actually a traffic jam of people where, to date, in the last three weeks, about 10 people have died. Not because necessarily of the climb, but because of the traffic jam. You thought I 77 was bad. It's a horrible thing. But there are re less risky reasons to go to mountains, aren't there? I, I love going to the mountains. We used to live there. I, I love the, the tranquility of it. I, I love the streams and the cool mornings, uh, cooler days like today would be cooler up in the mountains, wouldn't they? A spiritual retreat. There's something about the, the mountains. Well, significant events happen throughout Scripture in, in the mountains as well. Abraham, in obedience to God, takes his son up to Mount Moriah. I don't know if you remember that story, Abraham and Isaac. And Moses later on meets with God, and he calls Israel's 12 tribal leaders to come and join him on Mount Sinai. And the mountain was a place of transfiguration, another event in the life of Jesus, where he actually met with Moses and, and Elijah. For Jesus, the mountains were a place of prayer. He often went there seeking fellowship with the Father. While it doesn't explicitly say this in the text, most will agree that the simple reality that Mark mentions that he went to the mountains is just a further indication of practices that we saw him doing. It was the mountain that Jesus always went to to pray and to listen. So why do I make such a big deal about this? Because I think it is a mark of a Jesus-like leader. It's a mark of his first step in identifying the disciples. He, he submitted himself to the Father. John records these words in Jesus of Jesus in his account. He says, I do nothing on my own accord, but I say only what the Father has taught me. So before he chose, he prayed. Jesus lived this life of perfect obedience with the Father. It's central to the prayer that he taught the disciples later to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Always submitting to the Father. How does he hear him? How does he position himself to hear and submit in prayerful conversation with him. So it begs the question, how do we hear from God? How do we submit to his will? I wonder, do you have a, a mountain, a place you go, just you and the Father, we can talk? Well, the text continues, in submission to the Father's will and an act of obedience, it says, he called to him those he desired, and they came to him. 
Now, our Western eyes can glide right over that without much thought, but this is a really radical thing that Jesus did, countercultural. So consider that a rabbi, or excuse me, that Jesus was, was a rabbi. He was a teacher, and rabbis are like colleges. So here we are in graduation season, and those that are graduating probably a couple of years ago started investigating colleges they're going to go to, right? You've experienced that. You know, how far away is it from mom and dad? It's either a good thing or a bad thing, right? What, 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 what are the strengths of the college? Uh, what kind of a degree am I going to get? What's the campus like? All kinds of questions that, that are, are considered. They chose a college, just like they chose a rabbi. That was the pattern. Hence, the number of people that were following Jesus were saying, I'm following this guy. I like the curriculum a lot. I like what he's doing. I like what he's saying. But this is where Jesus turns that all on its head. And if you see it or not, it says that he called them. He called them out of the crowd. It's like Harvard looking at your grades and going, hey, come and study with us. Or the NBA calling me and saying, hey, come and play with us. Now that would be radical. That's basketball, right? Sorry, just kidding. He invited them to come and be a part of Jesus University or, or Team God. And this was a big deal. The invitation to come and walk with the one who is ushering in this kingdom of God. An invitation to, to learn the ways of, of the kingdom. They took notice. And they came. They said yes to Jesus' invitation. And they were willing to go public, even though it was a little bit maybe awkward. You see, it was signing day. My nephew, uh, great-nephew, if you will, Peyton, just graduated from high school, and he signed at a local college to, to play basketball. Maybe you've seen scenes like this on, on TV. Some of you may have experienced it yourselves. What happens on that day? You're making a commitment to follow. You're, you're identifying now with that team, wearing gear you never thought you'd wear before putting that hat on, putting the jersey on, going public, because this is now my team. So we might ask, from, from the hundreds of people that were, that were there, that were following him, why these 12? It certainly wasn't because of their faith or their talents or, or their, necessarily their abilities. They, they represented a wide range of occupations. They were professional anglers and, and bankers and politicians and thieves. Wait, are those the same? Oh, never mind. God called ordinary people. Jesus called them. No different than, than you and I or even the rest of the crowd. But the one characteristic that, that I think he knew they would demonstrate... They all shared that, that Jesus saw in them a willingness to obey this radical Jesus. If you boil it down to answering the question, what's a good disciple? It's, it's simply a matter of someone willing to say, yeah, I'll step out of the crowd and I'll follow. 
And he saw this in them. In a representative way, it's much like our life in following Jesus. His call to, to you and to me. His invitation's the same. He invites us to come and be a part of his life. To walk in, in the kingdom of light that he has ushered in. This kingdom of God. He invites you and I to be like him. Well, the second strategy that Jesus uh, employs is that he empowered them. Mark tells us that while still up on the mountain, while he was talking to the guys, that he appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach. When we hear the word appointed, our minds that it immediately go to maybe a, a government position where, where people are appointed to fill positions. They're appointed like, like maybe a judge is appointed to a seat or appointed to the chief of staff, something that already exists. But this word is different. It's an unfortunate connotation that we kind of conjure up in our minds because it really means to create something new, something that didn't exist before. He wasn't asking them to fill a position. He's saying, I'm creating something new out of you. It's the same word that is used in Genesis 1.1 when it says that God created the heavens and the earth. Now, God didn't appoint heavens and earth to go someplace. He created something from nothing. It's the same thing that's happening here. He's, he's calling them. He says, I'm making you something altogether new, a people with an extraordinary new identity. And Paul affirms this radical newness of, of one who hears the call of Jesus. And so if you are a follower of Christ, understand this critical change that has happened in your life. He says this, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. You see, the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's you if you follow him. From these men in the crowd, he called and he created apostles, messengers, authorized representatives. And he follows quickly with their job description. He says, you're this new creature now so that you will be with me, so I'll send you out, and you might have authority to cast out demons. That's pretty simple, but we'll see. Let's cover those real quickly. Hang in there with me. First, he says, your job description is to be with me. We love to be with those we love. Texting's Okay. FaceTime helps some. Here we are FaceTiming with our new granddaughter. There it is. I was waiting for that. Oh, do you mind if I look for a while? So we FaceTime, and my son answers the phone. So he's sitting there talking. We're going, no, no, her. We don't care about you anymore. <laughs> right? Isn't that the, the life of a grandparent? We don't care anymore. But being with those we love, being in their presence is, is really a big deal. So when he says to be with him, he's talking about this new life that we have in Christ, to live in the presence of Jesus. 
It is in his presence that they would learn to love him more and to learn these paradoxical ways of this new kingdom. When they were with him, they would hear things like, like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be glad. These were quite contrary ideas, but this was the way of the new kingdom. You see, simply put, being with him, they will become like him. So it's a disciple. It's a follower of Jesus who's in this process of, being, of, of becoming like Jesus. And so, you and I, as followers of Jesus, we will go to church and we hear preaching, we interact with one another in fellowship or in community groups, we go to Bible studies, we, we learn what it means and we start to practice what it means to, to live a dif- disciplined life of, of prayer and Bible reading and even what it means to steward the gifts that God's given us. All of this is good stuff and it's an important part of new behaviors in our life. But is it really all a disciple is? Is that it? Forming, reforming my heart and some behavior change and we're done? Spiritual formation is a phrase you, you might hear around church. To be, to be sure, spiritual formation or anything, uh, we're always being spiritually formed inside the church, outside. Their spirit is simply something that that motivates us to do the things we want to do. So there's always something trying to get our attention and to, to move us in a particular direction. So Christian spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Christ. But like I said, sometimes I think we stop there. Robert Mulholland says, or provides this helpful correction or add to it, he says, spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Well, that opens up a whole new world, a whole new understanding of spiritual formation. Jesus' plan for more and better disciples didn't end with this tribe of 12 that he called, no more than it ends with you and I. His plan is to empower them with his presence and then deploy them, to send them out. This new life in Jesus really is meant to flow out from us. Cass, my wife, she grew up near her grandmother, and as kids they would often go down the road about a half a mile to the grandmother's house where there's this beautiful setting where there's a pond. They used to swim in it and fish, and it was a stream-fed pond. But over time, the outlet to that stream got clogged up. And so today, if you would drive down there, you would see green mossy, slimy, hate to think what's underneath it. You see, water is meant to flow. It's more like a living lake if you've got an input and an output. 
See, this ongoing exchange of water is needed to keep it alive and healthy. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's the nature of a disciple, a follower of Jesus. I remember the song we used to sing at camp when I was a kid. You might know it. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Anybody know that? Makes the lame to walk and the blind. I wondered about that song. I haven't made many lame walk or blind see, but the truth of the song is there, isn't it? River of life. That's what God calls us. Jesus says, so while being with me, you will also go out on mission with me. My new life will flow out of you. You see, Jesus multiplied himself through his disciples. Well, finally, after deploying them, he said we would also have authority to cast out demons. Okay, send me out to preach. I can get my brain around that one. I can go on a mission trip. Yeah, that's easy enough. I can even muster up enough courage to cross that invisible boundary line with my neighbor and ask him about his faith. I can do all of that. But the casting out demons part, that's for another church. Maybe one we drive by quickly. <laughs> right? It happens in other parts of the world. We do see that. And I'm not discounting the reality of it. But casting out demons, if this is true, is this what we're all to be doing? Is this really part of the identity of a disciple? Well, let's consider this. In the ancient Middle Eastern Jewish mind, they had a list of things that they were looking for that would somehow mark the arrival of the Messiah. And one of those was the Messiah who would come performing miracles, casting out demons. Isn't that interesting? It was the evidence that they really needed. These were the key signs of the presence of God and his deliverance of humanity through the Messiah. Interestingly, just before this passage and just after this passage, Jesus is uh, well, he's casting out demons, and after the passage, the, the religious leaders come to him and say, no, this guy that's casting out demons, he's the son of the devil. He's not the son of God. What would happen if they said he was the son of God? Or he would be the son of God. That would be the Messiah. But they couldn't let that happen. Miracles equal the Messiah. And so it appears that the authority to cast out demons was a cultural way to proclaim the Messiah has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. See, we're doing miracles. This doesn't mean it doesn't happen today, but in this setting, this setting it was a message they could understand because it was a message they were looking for. So how... Did Jesus lead toward more and better disciples? He identified them by submitting to, to the Father in prayer, by, by obeying and, and then calling them 
and receiving those who said yes or willing. He empowered them with his, his presence and the promise to spiritually form and reform their hearts. And he deployed them. He sent them out and gave them responsibility and mission. He gave them authority in their culture to proclaim the gospel in a way that was meaningful to them. That's the kind of disciple that Jesus is calling. So here are some questions that we might consider as we consider this Jesus way of calling disciples. Number one, am I submitting to God as he identifies who he is calling to be a follower of Jesus? You've already demonstrated a heart for that, a submission to that when you brought your one more person cards. So we celebrate what God's doing in our midst. Second question, am I being formed and empowered by my commitment to be with Jesus? What's that look like in your life? How does he empower you? How do you position yourself to walk with Jesus? And then lastly, it's a courageous question. Have I personally deployed as an authoritative representative of Jesus in my culture. Submitting, being, going. Not necessarily separate things or steps that we have to accomplish, more like a, more like a three-legged stool that all need to be in place, right? Or kind of wobbling around, or maybe that recipe of three ingredients and something's missing. We need all three, right? God, that's a disciple that is living by the design of God. So two bottom line questions for us, again, to consider as you pray. Am I becoming a disciple like Jesus called? Does that represent what's happening in my life? Do I need to open up the clog the outlet. Secondly, am I making disciples like Jesus made? Let's pray.